Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast presented by the American Council of Engineering Companies and sponsored by the ACC Retirement Trust. Today, we're talking with Ryan Saddam, who is the founder of and chief experience officer at Client Savvy, a company in Raleigh, North Carolina that works with professional services firms to help them understand how they are performing when it comes to their clients' expectations. Welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Jerry. Thanks for having me. So engineering is fundamentally a relationship business. It's, it's clients and, and engineers working together. How is that different than a client experience program? Yeah, it, it, that's a great question. And, and there's not many engineering firms I've walked into and I've worked with over 500 in my career that uh, aren't founded in some way, shape or form on a, a client service model. In fact, you just don't, don't survive in this market um in any capacity if you aren't fundamentally capable of taking care of your clients so uh, professional services uh in general has a much higher threshold of service orientation than i think most businesses in the world particularly when you consider product businesses other things like that the difference between a experience-led organization and a service-led organization is that experience management goes beyond just client service. You really start thinking through, what are my clients' needs? What questions do they have? What are their expectations? Uh, what do we want them to think and feel with every interaction with the brand? And so you start designing thoughtful interactions for your clients at every touch point whether it's, it's uh, marketing or, or sales and contracting, invoicing, uh, meetings, uh, deliverables. Um, you can serve a client without delivering a great experience. And so experience-led organizations say, why can't we deliver a great experience all the time? And, and do you find that in the, in the engineering industry? Do you find firms that are, are capable of doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's really interesting seeing the, the diversity in the industry. There's, you know, most industries, there's usually an order of magnitude difference in pricing from the top of the market and the bottom of the market. And you just don't see that in engineering. There's a, a very uh, a, a clustered range of billing rates. Uh, in many ways, the industry feels very commoditized and very homogenous. Um, and yet, I'm beginning to see some really progressive firms do some things experientially that are different and, and uh, interesting. Um, and that's allowing them to do some really exciting things. There's a firm in Michigan uh, we've worked with for quite a while that's, that's really uh, put a... Uh, a flag in the ground to say we want to be an experience-led organization and in that time they've uh, now grown to be one of the top one percent performers as evaluated by their clients and so far this year they have an 88 percent win rate on proposals pricing their work 30 to 60 percent higher than market so that's when you really start seeing how differentiation in experience management can lead to differentiation in business outcomes and pricing opportunities as well. Yeah, one of the biggest uh, concerns of engineering firms after, of course, after the labor shortage is commoditization. They, the 
that their services are just uh, that that firms pick on end up being picked on price rather than uh, their their value. Uh, and I, this is something that would turn up that would increase the firm's value. I, I, as you're pointing out, absolutely. And a good experience management also helps address the labor shortage. No one likes going to work and working with frustrated clients. People love showing up to work, working on engaging projects with clients who love them. They enjoy feeling appreciated. They enjoy their, their accomplishments being acknowledged. So that validation really goes a long way. Um, great client experience attracts the best kind of clients. It attracts the most enjoyable kinds of projects. And when you're giving your employees a, a framework for delivering excellence to clients, when you've got processes, systems, protocols, structures, and culture in place to support the excellence in experience management, then your employees feel supported in delivering those great experiences to get the great outcomes, to get the accolades, and really just enjoy their jobs more. So uh, one of the things we've seen is uh, there's a very strong correlation between employee retention and client experience leaders. That's a, that's a message that needs to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> when, when, um, when, when firm leaders, uh, it, without a established experience program show up at your door, what, what, what are they asking for? Uh, you know, there's not a ton of, of prior art. We're still in the nascent phase of experience management adoption inside engineering and, and in fact, most professional services. I think uh, um, accounting as an industry is a little further along. Uh, engineering is probably second place just based on what we've seen. Legal, architecture, construction are, are lagging a little bit behind. Um, but CX adoption is still very early. Uh, only a 19% of AE firms in the US uh, um, say that they've even started something. And most of those say we've really just started. Whereas if you look at the Fortune 2000, 92% of them have an established and robust customer experience management program. So like, like the rest of history, we're lagging the rest of the world a little bit um, in adoption, but we're definitely seeing adoption pick up, uh, especially these last two or three years. So firm leaders coming to us, to answer your question, firm leaders coming to us are often asking, what is this thing? Why does it matter? What do we do with it? Our initial conversations tend to be very exploratory and our advice is really pretty simple. No one needs one more thing to do when we're overworked and understaffed. So what are the things you're already trying to accomplish? What's on the strategic a growth plan? What are your priorities? And how can we use experience management in order to, um, in order to accelerate our adoption of those things? And, and um, it's interesting you'd say that they come to you and they say, what is this thing? I mean, what? So that's my question, I guess. What, what, what are the key components of a, of a, of a good client uh, experience program? I'm going to answer real concisely, and then I'm going to answer with a story, because I think stories give us great examples. One, 
you have to design experiences for your clients. Two, you have to implement those experiences. And three, you have to measure those experiences. Uh, measurement is ultimately where you know what needs work, what's working, what isn't working. Um, so I usually recommend starting with the measurement piece just to understand, again, what is working and where you, where you have some opportunities to do things a bit more creatively. And then you get into the fun work of design and, uh, and the implementation phase. The story I like to share, just because we can all relate to it, um, comes from the uh, customer world, uh, Chick-fil-A. I know it's a bit of a, uh, um, a controversial brand at times. You either love them or, or, or don't, but they do some really interesting things. And, uh, you know, I've got four kids. They're all teenagers now, but when they were young, uh, uh, the the oldest was five and a half when the fourth was born. So my wife, when she was out running errands or uh, trying to do things, bringing four kids, you know, uh, three of them in a stroller, you know, trying to grab lunch anywhere. It was just chaotic. And uh, you go into any fast food restaurant and you try to push a you know, three kid stroller through the turnstiles, going around the little ropes and you're trying to wrangle kids and they're disrupting everyone and you got to order your food and try to carry the food and the stroller and it's i mean we all just have been there and if we don't have kids you've seen it happen and you just think man that really sucks so chick-fil-a realized hey this is a common demographic we know that moms with young kids uh, take a lunch break while they're out running their errands and the experience is terrible so what could we do about this that's different so they thought through what are their needs, what are the frustrations, and, and they come up with this idea called mom's valet. You go to the drive-thru, you say you want mom's valet, you order your food, the kids are all still strapped in. You go to the window, you pay for your food, the kids are all still strapped in. You drive around, you park, you get your kids out, you bring them inside, and they've got your table set by the play place. Or does that make a better experience for that's everybody? A, that's a great example, yes. The yeah. great example, and and someone had to think about who are my customers, what are their broad types? Can we kind of categorize them, create these personas? Um, what challenges do those personas have? What are they trying to accomplish? Well, they're not just trying to feed themselves or the kids; they're looking for a break in the middle of their day, right? I mean, mom wants relief, not just nourishment. Um, and then we have to design for that. Now we have to implement it, which means we have to train all of our people. We have to drive some accountability. We've got to message this in the marketplace and, and, and communicate this value proposition. It does no good to do all the design work in the world and have this great idea if you're not communicating to the world that this is a service innovation, this is a new experience you can have. And um, then you've got to measure and make sure it's working. And you know, now we got four kids and you ask them where their favorite restaurant is. And, you know, oldest had her 18th birthday two weeks ago, and she wanted a massive nugget tray from Chick-fil-A for her 18th birthday party. Yeah. So customer for life, yeah. customer for life. When you really think about these things and design for them and implement them, I mean, it's not hard to do. It just takes a little bit of reframing and asking some really interesting questions and the business opportunities, you know, if all of that can go into an $8 pack of nuggets, imagine what we would do if we could focus in on an $8 million engineering project. Right. <laughs> it, it, this uh, speaks to uh, 
plan expectations? I mean, it, it, is it a is it a question of determining what their expectations are and then figuring out how to meet them, or is it a question of um, creating expectations? It's a little bit of both. Um, certainly, understanding a client's expectations is key, just as much as is setting expectations. Again, since there's not a ton of prior art that we can all relate to, we have to look outside engineering, but think about uh, vehicles. What expectation does Ferrari set versus Chevrolet? You know, very different set of expectations and, and the brands set those expectations in the marketplace more so than the consumers do. So as, as brands, we have an opportunity to set expectations in the marketplace. What kind of expectations should you have of our firm? Unfortunately, you go look at everybody's websites and you, most firms are, are setting very similar expectations. Um, so, so that's one of the things that, that, that leads to the lack of differentiation. We're just not clearly communicating. Here's what makes us different from that experiential perspective. And I don't mean experience, you know, my experience as an engineer, all firms like to brag about their experience. They don't talk about the experience they're going to deliver to their clients. And you think about a public sector buyer, their expectations are different. Their needs are different. Whereas you go to a commercial private developer, and they've got a completely different set of needs and priorities and expectations. And we often, uh, um, you know, multidiscipline, diverse firms serving both types of clients often will blend the message and, and end up really not being different for anybody. So really thinking through um, who are the clients, what are their real needs, what questions do they have, uh, what are their anxieties, what are they see as risk? What do they see as the opportunities? And connecting your messaging and your positioning and indeed your service delivery to those things is an important part of managing expectations. On expectations, I want to say one more thing because there's I've got a pet peeve and I would bet at least half of the audience listening today, uh, if they go on their website, is going to find this. And that is... Um, that is, uh, um, uh, don't put on your website, we strive to exceed your expectations. Um, set the expectations accordingly, set them high if you want to, charge accordingly for the expectations you set, and then deliver flawlessly to those expectations. That's ultimately what clients are looking for. Um, um, uh, it's amazing how over-delivery can sometimes actually be a negative. Oh, completely, yes. Um, I guess on this point, though, um, if, if, as you say, if you go to every uh, engineering firm website, you'll find these vague promises of, of great service and such. If you are actually a firm that has a program designed to deliver that, how at that point do you communicate that difference? Well, because... All of a sudden, when I'm on your website or I'm reading your proposal, I'm not reading about you. I'm reading about me. Hmm. I mean, it's a fundamental paradigm shift. When I, you know, go pull out your five most recent proposals and look at the first page. 
What does the first page say about the client? What does the first page say about the problem that they're trying to solve or the need that they have? Most of the proposals I see the first page is all about me. Yep. And it's it's not about you, the client. So, so it's that paradigm shift of really putting your client at the center of the business and designing everything around the client that the progressive firms are really starting to latch on to. People buy when they see themselves being successful with your product or service. So when I can see myself in your business, I get much more comfortable, I'm much more aligned and oriented and much more biased to choose you and much more willing to pay a premium because you look like the perfect fit for me all of a sudden. So, so is this a is this a paradigm shift for firms as well as far as their culture goes? Or I mean, are these are firms that come to you ones that are already there or on the way there to to being client centered, or do they need to do as a firm need to to change its culture to 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 fit this this model? Yeah, you know, culture is a really interesting thing, Jerry, and uh, you know. Uh, I've had the fortune of working with a tremendous number of already great firms. And I would say by and large, the firms I've worked with are good firms going to great and sometimes great firms going to legendary, if you will. Um, that said, um, every firm has a different story. Every firm's coming from a different starting point. Um, you know, any firm of any size, if you've got, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus people, if you've made it past the, you know, single owner, 100% shareholder, you've got diverse leadership, um, you've had to get something right in the culture to be able to afford that growth and retain clients. So uh, every firm's starting with some strength. And the last thing you want to do with the CX transformation is, throw out the good stuff you want to really identify you know and really your clients are best at telling you this your clients will tell you here's what we love about you here's what you're doing well those are the elements of the culture that are already in place and so we kind of set those aside and we focus on how do we strengthen what's already great and then build a foundation around that to maybe shore up some other areas that need some attention um that said, it does take just constant messaging to remind our people that clients come first. Um, you know, one firm I saw make the transition, again, they were a fantastic firm, a really strong starting point, great culture, but where you really see it come in, uh, they brought me in, uh, a client experience was part of their strategic priority. So I got to sit in there, there are two days of strategic planning. They had a, a facilitator facilitating the broader piece. And I was there to help with the, the, the client experience component. And when their IT director uh, got to his part of the agenda, he said, yeah, we're going to replace everybody's big workstations this year. We're going mobility. So kind of strategically, mobility is our big thing this year. And we have two laptops and this one's kind of the big beefy CAD station that can run, you know, Revit and do all these new calculations and weighs, you know, 27 pounds. And then we got these little thin and light, but look, the screen folds flat. 
And so when you sit down with the client at a meeting, you can fold the screen down and the viewing angle works and it's multi-touch. So you can actually put drawings or documents here and share them in a collaborative space with your clients. So now you got the IT person, not just thinking about, you know, megahertz and RAM modules, but you're thinking about, hey, when we bring a computer to a meeting, how does that impact the experience collaborating with the client? So that's just a, you know, a little insight to a firm that really took the culture of client experience to the nth degree where even the IT person was thinking, how does the technology we buy impact the experience we deliver to our clients? That's a great example. I, you know, IT people rarely do think beyond the, uh, the bytes and, uh, and megahertz. Um, <laughs> and just on one point you made there uh, about the, um, uh, you know, ask your clients what you do right. That's, that's, that goes back to what you said earlier about measure first. So basically find out what, find out what you're doing correctly first and then build around that essentially. Yeah, you know, it would it, be impossible to improve your project management if you weren't already measuring hours, profitability, overhead rates, so you've got to have those measurements in place in order to optimize certain operational procedures. Well, the same thing goes with client experience management. There's a ton of metrics. I'm actually leading a workshop uh, later this afternoon for our client experience management program. Um, and uh, I've identified 57 metrics that you can track wow. about the client experience. Uh, some of them are internal, some of them are external, but the foundation really comes down to um, what is the experience your clients are having? And if you're not asking your clients, what is it like working with us? What do you love? What's working well? Where are there some friction points? Um, you start making changes or you start making strategies and you're really doing it blind. Um, and, and, you know, we've all heard stories of brands who made a change that was supposed to be, you know, big, it was supposed to be a good thing, you know, it, in blind taste test, new Coke beat Coke, hands down. And it goes down as one of the most massive failures in product history because they didn't really listen to their customers, tried to make a big change. And even though objectively it was better, subjectively, it was a disaster. So we want to be thoughtful with our clients as well. You've got to check in with your clients. You've got to be getting feedback. You've, and you can't just, you know, go get feedback once and say, hey, how are things going? We have long, complex client journeys with our clients. You know, we might be working on a project for months or years. And so how are things going throughout the course of the project? Really dialing in that inspection you know, project kickoff, you know, deliverables, uh, meetings, milestones, project closeout. Those are all important times to be soliciting feedback from clients in order to understand what parts of your business are working well, what parts of the experience might need a little bit of attention. And you mentioned all the metrics and stuff. Do you have any resources that you, you could recommend to the audience to, to, that they could use to, to start on this journey? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing, uh, 
anyone who's interested in client experience, we've developed this uh, um, a giveaway. Those of you who have been at the ACEC conference have seen it from Client Zappy before. It's the uh, one-year client experience plan. Uh, we generated a deck of playing cards. There's 52 cards in a deck, 52 weeks in a year. Each card is a five-minute exercise you play in a staff meeting or leadership meeting to get people talking about some different element of the client experience. So that's a great place to start just to get people talking. If anyone listening would like a copy, if you just email answers at clientsavvy.com, we'll get those in your hands. Um, we've also put together a diverse group of uh, professionals who are exploring client experience management in their professional services firm. Uh, clientexperience.org is the uh, community we've put together. We have an annual conference. We have uh, uh, memberships where you can get to know other peers who are on the client experience journey as well. So you can really hear from others what they're doing, what's working, um, and see some really neat case studies uh, from peers. It's mostly engineering firms, but we also have architecture, construction, legal, accounting. So a nice diversity of other professional services firms that, that, that we can learn from and grow with as well. Um, and of course, we also have plenty of uh, uh, white papers and case studies on real business transformations. Um, you know, uh, we're a big fan of pragmatic outcomes. Don't just do client experience because you know somebody said, "Hey, you should do client experience." Client experience transformations should be driving business outcomes. Is it growth? Is it profitability? Is it client retention? Is it uh, uh, a marketing efficiency? New sales? Whatever it is. Let's link client experience to objective business outcomes in a way that makes sense and really drives a more successful and sustainable business. I'll also throw in a plug for the blog post on your website. I, I read through several of those in preparation for this uh, program, and I, I found them very helpful for understanding the, the foundations of the, of the whole concept. So. Well, thank you, um, Jerry. And that website is clientsavvy.com. If you'd like to read our blog, you'll find that at clientsavvy.com. Yeah, we'll put the uh, links in the uh, in the show notes here. Excellent. Um, so great. Well, this uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, Jerry. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And again, if any of your listeners have any questions, you can reach us at answers at clientsavvy.com, and we'll be happy to uh, get you connected with uh, resources to help you get started on your client experience journey. Great. Thank you so much. And this has been the Engineering Influence Podcast, presented by ACEC and sponsored by the ACEC Retirement Trust. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.